Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight? Do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth? Now, I've scaled more than 20 businesses to over $100 million, and it's not just luck. In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast. This is your co-host, Seth Green. Today, I have the good fortune to be joined by Dan Nicholson of Nth Degree CPAs, which he founded back in Seattle in 2008 with the objective of building a successful practice by helping small business owners cultivate good accounting and tax practices to achieve their financial goals. We're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about the really cool stuff he's up to now. Dan, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. So I, let's go back in time a little bit. You graduated summa cum laude from Seattle University, and then when you graduated, you were selected for a really exclusive fellowship. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's one of those uh, uh, fellowships that unless you're in the accounting and finance space, it means nothing to you. But if you are in that space, then it's really impressive. So uh, basically, there's a, a board or a couple of boards that write all the accounting standards for U.S. Uh, companies or anyone that's going to be uh, listed on a U.S. stock exchange. Uh, and there's a board that writes all the account- accounting standards for any government in the U.S., and so basically, it wasn't on my radar, but was nominated for this fellowship, ultimately got it, and then uh, worked on an accounting standard that most people begged me not to tell them all the details of, which was a t- derivatives and hedge accounting standard. So I will not uh, subject you guys to uh, the pain of hearing Well, there that. are folks uh, who listen who would be impressed by that and would be interested. But for those of you who don't speak CPA, accountants consider setting the national standard to be a really big deal. Now... Since then, you've worked for some household name firms like Washington Mutual, UPS, uh, Deloitte & Touche, where I believe you worked on internal controls about Microsoft. So you've had quite a heck of a background. Can you talk a little bit about that journey and then what caused you, you know, to give it all up? Yeah, yeah. So when I, maybe to go back a little bit, if you can imagine my cliche kid growing up scheming on business ideas, that was That was me as a kid and probably many in your audience. And so I was always uh, sort of, I've always sort of had that entrepreneurial mindset. And I got an accounting degree and separately an information systems degree because I thought, okay, technology, uh, accounting, bring those together. That's going to be the best skill set to start a business. And surprising number of like Fortune 500 CEOs who have have a background in accounting. And then when I got the fellowship, uh, that put me on a whole different path. Uh, and first person in my family to go to college. So turning down a fellowship like that just felt almost like a slap in the face to my parents who sacrificed a lot for me to go to, to go to college. I don't think they would have taken it that way, but 
uh, that was built up in my head <laughs> as the case. Then I went in down this path for a while of, because I worked on this derivatives and hedge accounting standard. You might imagine that lots of people wanted me to work for them doing derivatives and hedge accounting stuff. So uh, unintended consequences. Worked at Deloitte and I became the derivatives person in, uh, in the Seattle area to a degree. And so any, anybody and everybody who had derivative issues became my client. So at the time, Microsoft had $100 billion in investable assets. They do a ton of hedging, derivative stuff. So worked there and uh, Washington Mutual went around. They had a bunch of derivatives, you know, banks typically do. Starbucks typically, Starbucks has derivatives. Expedia, all these kind of namesake Seattle area clients. So uh, I kind of uh, then had a little bit of a quarter life crisis going, what am I, what am I doing? This is not entrepreneurial what's, whatsoever. So moved around for a little bit. Uh, Warren Buffett back company that was getting ready to go public. Worked uh, with this guy, Steve Loudon, who was most recently the CFO of Roku uh, in strategic finance, did a little bit of work in tax, uh, all in this sort of identity crisis of sorts of trying to rationalize the degree I had. And at the same point, um, had this, this underlying uh, misery. And so finally, long story long, I realized, why don't I marry my desire to be an entrepreneur with the skills that I have, which was kind of the basis for starting a CPA firm and uh, trying to be non-conventional. So fascinating story. The longer version, if it hasn't, should be in a book somewhere. Now let's talk about the unconventional because you're up to some really interesting stuff that isn't keep, just keeping the books or doing taxes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and it, embarrassingly, it took me a while to figure this out. Uh, um, hey, it takes us all a while to figure it out, it's okay. So as I was just, just sharing with you, I mean, I grew up in, con in conventional finance, like working at a, the accounting board does, is not any more conventional than that, like we're literally setting the conventions. And, uh, and then I started working with small business owners and that was on purpose starting, the, uh, starting my CPA firm. I realized, wow, there's 42,000 firms in the US. If you have 10 people, you're the 400th biggest. So almost every small business owner is working with a CPA team of like one or two. And the gap between what you get at a big national firm or even a big regional firm and what you get uh, at a shop of one or two is pretty substantial. I'm not trying to slight the, the smaller sure. firms, but there's just a, there's a huge gap in a variety of ways. And uh, so I thought there was a market opportunity there and uh, the data says people just hate tax and accounting. And ironically, most CPAs go, hey, uh, yeah, let me know if you have any questions, give me a call. They're never gonna call unless the house is on fire because it's a topic they hate. It would be like you're hiring a personal trainer and they're like, okay, cool. Let me know. Give me a call if you want to work out and then let me know what workouts you want to do. It's like, no, I need you to hold me accountable. So we started working with clients, uh, leading with planning. In that process, I would make a lot of recommendations about from my past of, hey, you need forecasts. You need key performance indicators. We know it's, um, uh, all these sort of conventional things. And they would say, yeah, yeah, I want that. And we'd implement it. And then as you might guess, they'd never look at. And, and so it took me several years of doing the same thing and trying harder. Like maybe I need to just explain it better. Maybe if I uh, make it more digestible. Uh, 
and we kept getting kind of the same, same results. And then I realized that the, there were some fundamental differences in uh, the way that small business owners operate and why conventional finance doesn't work, long story long. Uh, conventional finance is about maximizing shareholder value, maximize have the most today. Makes sense, got tons of resources, thousands of staff you can maximize. Uh, small business owners, they have to optimize what's the most efficient path forward. Most of the issues they face also are preference-based decisions. Can't go Google, should I go grow my business? Can't Google that. And get an an you can get an answer. It's probably not the right fit answer. Uh, and then uh, when you're a big company, you don't, you're not faced with preference-based decisions. It's all about, is this going to maximize shareholder value? And then most small business owners don't know how to make asymmetric bets. Bets where the upside is substantially greater than the downside. They often make asymmetric bets where the downside is much greater than the upside. Like I'm either going to be homeless or I'm going to have a company that's going to be relatively sustainable. Uh, and so we've been building out an entirely different toolkit, resources, uh, kind of different operating system for how you navigate preference-based decisions, create asymmetric opportunities, and be able to solve problems that are preference-based. And conventional forecast metrics don't do that because they're about maximizing. Okay, so... Kind of a long answer. <laughs> how do you do that? Tell us a little bit about the application that you're, work, you're, you're using for that. Yeah, so we built a tool called the Certainty App and uh, uh, certaintyapp.com. The, the next big release is coming out here in a couple of weeks and it's uh, going to start to make available to the public a lot of this that we've uh, we've been developing internally, working one-on-one -on -one with clients and building things in spreadsheets and all that stuff, doing it manually. Uh, lead domino is that how can you possibly make preference-based decisions if you don't know your preferences, if you don't know what you're optimizing towards? So as cliche as it might sound, we have to define what we call our profit priorities. What are the things that you actually want to fund? And when do you want to fund it by? And so that could be things like retire your spouse, have 10 more hours of white space per week, um, fund your core capital, the amount you need to retire. All these things uh, we need to put in order. What's number one, what's number two, what's number three? Uh, order is key because we have to optimize. We got to solve for number one, then number two, then number three. So many business owners get stuck in the swirl, build out these spreadsheets. They're trying to solve five things at once. We don't have the resources we have to optimize. So define our profit priorities, uh, set up our bank accounts in a different way. There's something called the mental accounting bias that prevents us from making uh, good economic decisions unless we break our bank accounts up into different buckets, into risk buckets and reserves. And so we've created some tools around how to actually use your bank accounts for decision-making, which is, which is in the next version of the app. Most people wake up, open mobile banking, and they decide if they're doing okay based off the balance in that account, uh, which can give you a pretty false positive. Uh, and then there's a series of principles that we need to use to process preference-based decisions. And then ultimately something called, uh, that we've developed called readiness, which pulls in my derivatives background. Readiness is the idea, that's a score out of 100 that says, how ready is your business to take on a new opportunity? We always assume we're ready for a new opportunity, but that could actually be the worst thing that you could do, something, something new. 
Sometimes you need to take a break. Sometimes there's things you need to clean up. And so often uh, we walk head into the fire unintentionally uh, and uh, create more risk in our business uh, by doing something new. Uh, and so we've developed this score to give you an idea of on a day-to-day -day basis, how much, how much risk is in your business. Okay, so that's fascinating because a lot of the time, I would imagine myself included, and I can only speak for me, but most business owners, we operate by gut feel mm -hmm. or what does our gut, what does our intuition tell you or we're guessing. So you found a way to kind of quantify, mm -hmm. attach scores and numbers and give us a uh, objective quantitative measure for making decisions, which I love. So how does that affect, I mean, there's something that you talk about that we talk about called entrepreneurial anxiety. Mm -hmm. How does this help reduce that? Yeah, the thing that I come back to in every discussion with clients is every action we take in business should be getting us closer to the things that we want. If, if it's getting us further away, what's the point? Uh, we might as well go get a job in that, in that case if we're getting further away from the things that we want. So we have to be clear on, on that. Uh, a lot of the uh, anxiety is because we haven't named things. So the assumption is that cash flow is just going to keep going up and up. Like if I just keep working hard over a duration of time, there's going to be some like linear exponential, like up and up and up and up. And, uh, and then of course we know when we get into it, that that's not the case. Like we have, Oh great. We had a bunch in our account. Oh crap. Uh, now we don't. Oh, now we're doing better. And then the, Nope, now we're not right. And it's actually this up and down that happens with cash flow. And the thing that is going up in the linear, in the exponential is risk. And it manifests itself in sleepless nights, constant fire drills and, um, and all these like nefarious things that, that exist. And so the issue is that business owners don't have the right toolkit to identify those risks and eliminate them. Oftentimes what I see is the, the, the most common issue is that we keep changing our methodology for how we're processing issues. And if you keep changing the way that you solve the same problem, guess what? You can't compare current results to past results and actually draw an appropriate conclusion. So that's why we need this. We need a framework. We need principles that we can use. We need rules around what we're going to have in our bank accounts that are dynamic and adjust to the business changing. We need a metric about the overall risk. And then we need a, a framework. And I built one called the four lenses to identify whether or not a thing is worth doing. So this is the heart of almost every question I get from clients and I've worked with thousands of small business owners at this point is a thing worth doing is a thing worth. And if so, is it worth doing now? And so we need to be able to answer that. Uh, and often we just assume uh, that more is better. Uh, and the thing is worth, the thing is worth doing because it's going to create more. Okay. So talk a little bit about what that looks like in real terms. So tell us about a client. You can obviously keep the identity confidential, Mr. Jones, what did he come to you for? What was his life like before? And then what does it look like now that they're using this process? Yeah. So the most common scenario, I actually had a college friend um, reach out to me business. You know, we, we went to business school together and they, um, they reached out and they had a bunch of competing issues 
around. Okay. I just inherited uh, some real estate from family and I've got some business income. Uh, they were living internationally. They moved back uh, to help take care of the family. And uh, so they've got this real estate portfolio. They got some business activities and they're trying to decide what do I do next? Do I sell some of the properties? Uh, we want to get into a better school district. Uh, we already have a property we, we think we want to um, move into that's in the school district that we want. But if we move into that house, we're, we're going to need to remodel it. Uh, and so there's just swirl all these competing sort of priorities. And so step one is uh, let's, let's put, put these priorities, these things that you want in order because you're trying to solve a multivariable equation. Uh, and so we can't, that's why you've been working on this issue for six months and you've got a ton of ideas, but you haven't uh, been able to reach a conclusion. So what's the number one thing? Okay. Number one thing is that uh, we want to get into this school district. It's great school district. Okay. Then you're going to move to that city. All right. So all the other cities you're evaluating off the table. That's the number one thing. Then the next, so we've now solved this like set of competing things just because we're optimizing for what you said is number one. Uh, then number two, now funny thing is often people will say what is number one and then when you make them vote with their money, you, they figure out what really is number one. It, and so sometimes it changes wildly. So we figure out the city. Uh, then the house. Uh, should we move into the house that we already own or should we sell it and uh, uh, buy something else. And then we use one of our core 10 principles that we help client, uh, that we suggest clients apply is what we call the investor frame, which is uh, if you had the cash, would you buy this property today? So right now out of convenience, you already own it. So often we do things out of convenience or because we've named the puppy on something. Uh, and so we do things out of convenience. So go, okay, would you buy this house that you already own now? Well, probably not because it's going to be a six-month remodel and uh, it's in a great spot, but for, for slightly less, we could buy another place, not have to do the remodel. Okay, well, then you're going to sell the property, right? And so in 15 minutes, we solved this issue that they've been dealing with for six months through some principles and through prioritizing. The same thing, uh, and that's a personal example, but the same thing in business is if we boil it down and we, we uh, flip from maximize to optimize, we put our priorities down, we're only gonna solve for number one, and then we use things like the investor frame. Uh, we tell clients at least quarterly, use the investor frame on your business. Would you buy the business that you own today? You know, it's worth 2 million bucks. If you had $2 million, would you buy that business? Almost always the client says no. It's like, okay, well, hold on. <laughs> that's kind of a big deal here. You own this business that's crushing your life. You wouldn't buy it. Why not? And we have to bifurcate or we have to break the issues into, uh, and this kind of goes back to readiness too, but we have to break the issues into, would you not buy it because of an industry thing? So I wouldn't buy a CPA firm because it has tax deadlines. Okay, well then you can't change that. So is it an industry thing? Is it a set of business decisions that you've made? Hey clients, I hate chargebacks. Okay, well uh, stop using credit cards, start using ACH. Like that's a business decision. 
or is it something you're doing that's causing this? The industry stuff we can't change, the business decisions and the, the you things, the issues you're creating, we can, that then becomes your action plan. And so at least quarterly, we say use the investor frame to try to uncover the, the risks that you should and, make. And that's fascinating. And that's just one of many frames and lenses that you've built in this proprietary algorithm to decrease uncertainty and increase the power we have to achieve our desired outcomes. What do, I mean, the example of both of those are mind openers. The, I love how you took the, because my wife and I are going through this right now. Do we remodel the house we have and add a pool or do we buy a house that has a pool already? Mm -hmm. And we're currently debating this. So I love how you took them through that scenario and got through all the emotion out of the way and actually got a decision made, which I've been trying to work with her on. And yeah. I love the investor frame of would you buy your own business? And if not, why not? And what could you do to make it to the point where you'd want to buy it? I think that is absolutely fascinating. What has been, um, what has been the response of the folks who are using the app and who are going through this process? Yeah, it's been pretty uh, overwhelming at this point because what the app does is it when you define your priority, one of the things that it does is when you define your priorities, you put them in order, you put a timeline and you put an amount for each of those priorities, then it's math. And the math will tell you how much additional cash flow you need to fund all your priorities and hit the time the timelines you set. Now you actually know how much you need to grow your business. So a lot of people are operating under the assumption, I need more, I need more, I need more, I have to grow it. Sometimes we find, actually, if you just keep doing the same thing, uh, based off your timelines, uh, you're gonna get there. And so uh, we have two questions then if you're not, uh, or two things we need to decide. Uh, one, uh, if that's the case and you're, you align that, hey, these timelines are correct, and these amounts are correct. And the, uh, then the thing we need to do is lock in that cash flow, reduce risk as much as possible, right? So that we, we lock in, this is for sure gonna happen, we're gonna fund our priorities. Oftentimes though, what people end up doing is going, actually, I need to move up those timelines. I put five years to fund uh, financial certainty, but it's actually three years. And I put a million dollar house, but it's actually a one point million dollar house. And so then we actually get to the truth. So many times when people write down their priorities, it's filled with all these dopamine hits from social media and whatever else they read, recency bias. And then uh, you gotta go through, I gotta call uh, through it a few times and then see the numbers and go, no, I still think I need to make more. Why do you think you still need to make more than that? well, because there's some things I didn't list that I wanted or the timelines weren't true. And so we're, the app helps people get to truth and why they're doing the things that they're doing. Um, in the book, The Messy Middle, uh, the author talks about anxiety work. So much anxiety work we're doing about checking our emails constantly and all of our messages and uh, trying to get these false reassurances. Until you know exactly how much cash you need to make each year, you're going to be prone to doing all this anxiety work, adding more to your plate, when maybe again, more might be the worst thing for you because you're adding more risk. So uh, anyhow, waxing a little bit philosophic on that. Uh, but the uh, we've tried to answer those elusive questions for folks about how much more they really need.
And that is, I mean, absolutely fascinating. I, I want to go through it. Where can our viewers and our listeners go to get their hands on this and start that process? Yeah, so uh, certaintyapp.com. Certaintyapp.com. All right, this has been Seth Green with Dan Nicholson. Fascinating interview. Where, um, anything else you want to share that I didn't think to ask you? Uh, the thing that I just want to remind everyone is that uh, the bus your business exists to serve you. Uh, and every action that you take needs to get you closer to the things that you want. Otherwise, frankly, what's the point? Amen to that. All right. Again, Seth Green with Dan Nicholson of Nth Degree CPAs and Certainty App. Dan, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks everybody for watching or listening. Go check out Certainty App and we'll talk to you next time. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free perfect pitch cheat sheet. Text pitch to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.